Hey, how's that research going? Not so good. Well, there's got to be some kind of support service out there that can help you with your mom. Yeah, I'm sure there is, but where do I look? Hmm. Well, a growing number of people, especially women, are finding themselves with yet one more job to manage, among many others already on their plate, and that is caring for an aging loved one. Taking care of an older parent or family member is a big job, but with the help of a loving community, you can get through it and find peace and fulfillment in that season of life. And our guest today will share about that. This is Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Now, we do not like uh, to think about getting older. In fact, we fight it all the way. And we certainly don't like thinking about death, which we all will face at some point. Uh, but the reality is, as people age, they often need to rely on care from other family members. And our guests today have experience in doing just that. Michelle Howe has cared for two of her relatives and has written a book called Caring for Our Aging Parents. Uh, she contributed articles to Focus on the Family magazine and many other publications. Lisa Anderson is our own director of Young Adults Ministry and the Boundless Ministry for Singles. Uh, she cared for her mother for two years before her mom passed away. Uh, let me say welcome, Michelle and Lisa, to Focus on the Family. Great to be here. Nice to be here. All right, Michelle, let's, uh, let's get right to it with the caregiving. Uh, caregiving is a deeply personal journey uh, for most people, certainly for you and your story. You first had the opportunity to be a caregiver for a relative named Bill. Mm -hmm. That sounds kind of elusive, but was he an uncle or what? He's actually my husband's cousin, but okay. he was an elderly cousin. So he was the same age as my father-in-law. Okay, so it yeah. felt normal in that context. Right. And he's also your neighbor at the time, right? Yeah, he, we live out in the country, and he was our only neighbor. We have farm fields all around us. Oh, so, my. Yeah, he kind of took over as our, our kid's extra grandpa. Yeah. So he was great. Tell us about some of those circumstances so the listeners can get a picture of what you were facing when Bill, your husband's second cousin... Yeah fell ill and needed help. Mm -hmm. Was he alone? Well, he was alone. And to give a little backstory, he had he was an only child. He had never been married. He had, you know, no siblings, no kids. And he was a hunter and a fisherman and just an avid outdoorsman, very independent guy. So at 70, he had never been sick. He started getting sick. He had cancer on his colon. He ended up with open heart surgery, Parkinson's, a second cancer. He had became diabetic. He had tons of urinary problems that were just embarrassing to this proudly independent man. Well, let's start there for a minute because that's so descriptive of our parents or our loved ones, our family members that live a very, I mean, this guy sounds like a mountain man. I mean, he was very self-reliant, it sounds like. And that's got to be the first blow to them. Mm -hmm. that their life is not going to be the same. In fact, you, I think you overheard the doctor talking with him, and it made an impression on you. What happened? Well, you know, he was 70 when he first had his first uh, bout with cancer. He got it removed, and then he went to a rehab for several weeks. And I was at a rehab meeting, which I didn't know what was going to happen. It was a round table like this with a whole lot of medical professionals. Well, Bill, they wheeled him in, and he thought he was going home that day as he saw me. Right. Well, that was not what happened. The social worker said, looked at me and said, you live with her, meaning me. And I said, no, he's our neighbor. Well, for some reason, they had that all mixed up. And I don't know how they got that mixed up. Right. But then they all started looking at each other. And then the furative glances. And I could tell it was going south fast. Yeah. And then he knew he wasn't coming home that day. 
And that was because he physically wasn't able to be alone. Correct. I mean, he was still real unsteady. It would not have been safe for him. Even us being next door and going in, you know, attentively watching him, he could have fallen in the night. It would have been a good thing. But I remember big tears rolling down his face. I'm choking back tears, wishing my husband was there, but he couldn't because he was at school teaching. And that hit me so hard. I thought he placed such a responsibility on our shoulders to take care of him. And I felt like I had stabbed him in the back because I couldn't safely say to them, oh, yeah, bring him home. He'll be okay." I knew he wouldn't be okay yet. And that was just one of the first emotions we started really going through. Right. And you think of that weight of that responsibility, another person and their heart's breaking right in front of you, but it's not the best thing. And it's just like being a parent. You say no. You, you know, it just didn't work. Yeah. So, and, you know, uh, I'm sure the listener, I know the story, but the, some listeners are thinking, well, why didn't you have him come and live with you at that moment? Why didn't you just make that decision? Mm-hmm. What were the circumstances that... Well, uh, we still had four teens living at home, no extra bedrooms. And well, our house is not point. that big anyway. But right. you know what? I don't think he would have wanted to live with us. I don't know if I... He was a big guy. Yeah. I couldn't have handled him on my right. own. Well, but and that's indicative of the kind of decision-making that you're faced with all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately for you, it was in this awkward meeting. Yeah. But obviously the hospital staff assumed that he was going home with you. Right, right. And then, you know, after we all talked, they were very encouraging. And I think he came home a few weeks later when he was ready. Yeah. And then we were able to offer, you know, the respite care by being there every day for him. And he was fine. But at that meeting, he wasn't ready. Well, and again, that was the first speed bump for the decisions that are going to follow. And we're going to come back to that part of the story and learn more from you. Lisa, let me get you into the discussion here. Uh, You cared for your mother for two years in your home. Uh, Describe your situation and her situation. What was the environment about? Yeah, and it's weird because I was actually thinking this morning how um, actually my dad had died 10 years prior and I was like, oh my goodness, I was a little bit of a caregiver for him too in the sense that he got cancer quite quickly. I remember taking a leave of absence from work to go and help care for him. But um, so when, you know, he ended up um, passing away later that year and that was just so shocking to me, the first close person that had ever died. Um, And then, you know, fast forward, um, mom started developing dementia, she got to the point where she could no longer be in her home. And she actually made the decision to go into assisted living. And we were all grateful for that. Um, So she did, but immediately hated it. And so we had three years of her, you know, I would call her most days, and her saying, you know, when are you going to get me out of here? Why do I have to stay Mm. here? Why am I here with all these old people? (laughs) While the dementia was progressively getting worse. And so I knew that I wanted her to have a great last season. I knew that if I possibly could, I would move her out here to Colorado to be with me. And I started talking about that. I was in a Bible study. I started sharing that as a prayer request, but I'm single. I work full time. I'm like, I can't care for my mom. You know, she needs full time care. And uh, a friend of mine in Bible study stepped forward and said, if there's any way I can be of help, I would love to do that. And I think even at that moment, I mean, that to me was God saying, pull the trigger on this, we're going to make it happen, you're going to get the support you need. And um, and so I, I knew that I wanted to pursue it. But I think even then I had a rose-colored glasses view of like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Mom and I are going to have this girl time. We're going to just like, you know, reclaim all these lost years. It's going to be fabulous. I'm going to get her on routines, eating healthily, doing, we're going to go do activities. <laughs> and I just thought it was going to be all rainbows and unicorns. You had and some of that, I'm sure. We had great, great times. I mean, I I look back on it and I'm like so grateful. I had mom full time for over two years. 
I mean, I started writing things down, hilarious things she said, great experiences we had. And so I remember having that time with my dad and I'm like, I want that with my mom too. And so, so it was great. There were great yeah. times, super hard times too. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, again, listeners are going to be living different phases of what we're talking about. And for their benefit, you have siblings and that entered into the discussion. How did that play out? And I would imagine expectations are the biggest issue. Like yeah. each of you had expectations of what the other would do yeah. or who would participate, how much work would be done by each of you, you know, divide the work evenly. And yeah. Who knows what you're thinking? But that tends to be one of the big issues, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, let me just tell you, Jim, that here was my expectation. I was saying going into this with my mom, especially saying, okay, I'm doing, let's be honest here, this is kind of a heroic act. Um, I'm going to take her in full time. Um, you know, I'm getting her out of this horrible assisted living, which was totally this Christian-owned awesome place. <laughs> Amazing situation, but just not. She was kind of dying on the vine. So I thought, okay, I'm going to bring her in. Financially, this is a good decision. Uh, this is She's going to be with family. She's going to live out her last season. This is going to be great. My siblings surely are going to say, okay, how can we help? What can we do? How much money do you need? What kind of respite do you need? Well, we didn't have any of that conversation on the front end. So I made all these assumptions that ended up being a huge discussion on the back end, because some of them are out of state. Um, you know, they many of them have kids and now even grandkids. And so I just thought, you know, hey, guys, let's all drop everything and do what we can for mom. And they're like, uh, FYI, we have other things going on well, in our lives single, too. that made sense to you right this, and this fits me and let's be honest there was a little bit of this um lisa you're single don't you just have the time and the means to do this and i'm like mm. dude i've got a life like i've got a lot of stuff going on this isn't just about like single people don't have anything else going on so there was a lot of i would say there was some bitterness there was a lot of conversation that had to happen and it happened throughout the last two years of mom's life and even afterwards you know we've had to work some stuff out so i mean i'm a big proponent of start having these conversations on the front end when everyone especially if you have a, a parent you know struggling with dementia or another family member you know when they can be part of the conversation so you can get that ball rolling right away Michelle, let me ask you, and Lisa, jump in, but uh, one of the things that you're expressing here, and this is one of the more difficult aspects of caring for elderly parents or relatives, is uh, the culture has kind of seeped into the church as well. You, you, we get an idea that centuries ago, this was all done, and Christians just simply did the right thing because it was God-honoring to honor your parents in this way. But we get you know, the influence of the culture with comfort and leisure, and there's ways that we can put mom and dad in a place, and they're taken care of, and our conscience is eased, and we're not troubled. It's just a financial burden. Speak to that dichotomy. My heart tells me that in some cases, that's exactly what some parents or grandparents are going to need, is that kind of special care 24-7. They need to be in a facility where they can be taken care of. Then there's the choice of doing it for my comfort and ease as the caregiver. It'd be far better to put them in the, the assisted living. How does a person manage that guilt and how to make the right decision for their aged loved one and be comfortable with it? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I'm just listening to Lisa talk and I'm thinking of how many friends have gone through exactly what you went through. You know, they didn't have all those important conversations ahead of time on every level, you know, and then there's all that heartache 
bitterness creeps in, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. I think the culture has changed the way we look at, well, retirement too, older right. people in general. And, you know, someone with dementia eventually needs to be in a home because I don't believe anybody can take care of them properly without burning out. I mean, if you have a husband and a wife and the husband's taking care of the wife and she escapes in the middle of the night, that's not good for anybody. You know, and those that happens way too often. And I know it's heartbreaking. So there's those special situations where, I mean, I think assisted care is great, you know, and it's needed. But then if you have people, which there's probably too many, who are well-to-do families and are just too busy to take care of their elderly then you have to ask those questions. But it is a case-by-case Yeah, and I don't study. want to place a guilt trip on people because, you know, the, it is case-by-case. you got to know very specifically what's going on, and it's hard for us sitting in these chairs to throw out a blanket recommendation. All that I hear you saying is consider your case. Right. You know, what's yeah. the best thing for your loved one? And you have to evaluate the relationship you have with your loved one, too. If you have a contentious relationship with your mom or dad, you may not want them to live with you. They may not want to live with you. I've yeah. had people that I've interviewed talk to me and say it would never have worked and they didn't want to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, I did it as much as I could, as much as they would allow. You know, one of the most heartbreaking things that I recall, Gene and I would take the boys when they were younger to uh, assisted living facilities at Christmas to hand out blankets or gift bags and things like that. There were some scary, funny moments, you know, that you don't anticipate putting your little children in that place. Yeah. I remember one was Troy. Troy walked in to deliver a bag, and the woman started screaming at him, saying, you're trying to steal my purse. And Troy, was his eyes got really yeah. big, and he started to cry, and he ran out of the room. But there's also the heartbreaking one was where we walked into a room, and this woman who had her makeup on, her hair looked nice. She was finely dressed, and she was sitting on the edge of the bed, very alert mentally. And we walked in, and and as she unfolded her story for us, uh, very eloquently, she just said, you know, I came here two years ago. I don't see my family. They don't come to visit me anymore. And she was very alert. It, to me, it was almost like I didn't know the whole story, but that she could have lived on her own. She was that capable. But think of that where you're abandoned. You're put in these places and your family just never comes because it's that chaotic or whatever excuse they might give. Speak to that situation where that decision may have been made where you're going to place grandma in that assisted living situation. But what should you do to show her love Mm -hmm. as she continues through her last phase? Well, one thing is you show up. And I remember my husband, this happened early on with Bill, and he made it a point of, we're going to go see him every day in that nursing home while he's recuperating because he, we knew he didn't have any other family and he had a lot of friends but who knew which friend was going to show up on what date so my husband made it his mission and in fact sometimes he and I would get a little eh, because I would think I can't go up today because I have this and this and this and this which is a whole nother topic sometimes you want to do the right thing and like you said you're exhausted you work all day plus everything else it takes to make your life function, and then you come into a situation where someone needs you. And this is when I, what we learned the second time around, have the conversations up front with everybody who cares about the person who's sick and say, okay, this is what needs done. Let's all pick a day yeah. or let's pick a task. 
and really divide it up so that everybody isn't, you know, you're not all getting burned out. Mm -hmm. It's reasonable. Yes, that's good. I think another thing that's important to remember is there are a lot of folks who move into some kind of senior living situation that ends up being amazing and they end up right, thriving there. Yeah. So like, yeah. for example, you know, people that are housebound or end up being really lonely or whatever, they get in all of a sudden there are activities, there's mm -hmm. structure, there are new friends to make and they thrive, but not everyone does. You know, Jim, for me personally, I just remember when I finally had to start thinking about this. First Timothy 5 came to mind, and I was so personally convicted by it when it said, you know, widows with children and grandchildren, <laughs> it is their responsibility to care for their own. And it's not, you know, and I thought to myself, oh, my word, it's not the responsibility of the state. It's not the responsibility even of my church. Now, their responsibility is to support me in what I'm doing. But this is on me and, you know, collectively my my siblings and whatever. And so I just thought to myself, there's no way to get around that and to realize that this is my mom and this is my, and in honoring her, I am honoring the Lord. And whatever, however that plays out and whatever this ends up looking like, this is my deal and I need to wrestle with this and I need to figure out how to make this happen because I can work X number of hours the rest of my life. I can have my friendships. I can do my stuff and serve. But my first line of service is to my own family, to my own mother, and it will be a privilege and it will be a joy and I will have no regrets. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michelle, I want to come back. Uh, you mentioned your husband, James. Um, what kind of special stresses occur in the marriage when you're caring for a loved one. I mean, and you alluded to it, but I want more specificity. Mm -hmm. um, that can really become a problem within the marriage, right? Yeah, it can. You know, I was thinking this morning when I'm looking back, because this has been about 13 to 15 years ago when we took care of Bill. And I remember that time, it was a five-year period, waking up every day and wondering if that phone was going to ring or how many times it was going to ring where I would have to stop doing what I was doing with our kids. Because I was homeschooling the younger two still at that time. Right. I mean, you had your yeah, hands full. We did have our hands full. And then I would try to fulfill whatever he needed. But then, you know, I would, if, if there was a new need, or, and then you go back into the hospital, and then we would start the whole rigmarole again, many doctor's appointments. It, just, it was just overwhelming to me. So it was almost like Jim kind of picked up that mantle for our whole family and said, our kids are going to learn to do this early on, which is all great. However, these ideals of doing it and the rubber hits the road when you're already exhausted and you're tired and you have to hammer out what's reasonable. Yeah. And I think we did argue at times. Yeah. And then I would feel guilty because I knew it was the right thing. But then I thought, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I have 10 other things I have to do. And I'd be torn all the time. Well, what does a person do in that space? We're, we're talking to people right now that are living where you were. Yeah. What's a practical thing when you feel it's the right thing, but I have no margin? What do you do? Well, you know, early on, we should have brought more people into the mix. We didn't realize. We were so naive and green about caregiving. We didn't know that there were people who would actually come over to Bill's house and clean it. Or the Meals on Wheels kind of hurt on Meals on But we didn't, weren't really getting all that. So we you were, wanted to do it all or just we, didn't have time yeah, to investigate? Yeah, we were, we, were we were doing all of it. Yeah. You know, and we're both type A people, and we'll get in there and we'll do it until we die. You know, and I think... After the fact, I don't believe from my perspective that we ironed everything out while Bill was still alive. Mm. It took 
for me anyway, I don't know how my husband feels, some time after he had passed away to kind of just be contemplative about it and think about what did we do right, what did we do wrong, and that's okay. Because then a few years later, my father-in-law had um, esophageal cancer, and he only lived five months, and we were thrust into helping him again. But we did it so much better the second time around because we'd had more experience. And we're going to pick that up next time. I want to continue the discussion, and we'll talk about that. I did want to mention a quote that you had in your book. Uh, I think the quote's from Roy Hessian. It said, people imagine that dying to self makes one miserable, but it is just the opposite. It is the refusal to die to self that makes one miserable. I mean, what a place to end. Um, But I want both of your perspectives regarding that because it's counterintuitive. All the work, all the giving I have to do is going to take from me. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can anticipate that it will be more rewarding is lost at the front end of that effort. Mm -hmm. So how do you respond to that? All I know is when I look back at the two experiences we've had, the first one, I think, we didn't know what we were doing, but we did our best, you know. And the second time around, God really brought to mind a lot of correctives and kept teaching us, do it a little different this time. Enlist a lot more people. And, you know, we had more wisdom. We had more understanding. We had the same heart both times. We loved both of those men so much, but we didn't know, you know. And I think so many people are facing... Like you just said, they know it, caregiving starts out. Maybe you think you're going to be have to do a few things, and it can become twenty four seven very fast. And people yeah. lose it. You know, they just they're not lose equipped. It. They're not equipped. That's the right way to say it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it can overwhelm you like a tsunami. You're just swept away with right. all the activity, and I see that. Lisa, perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, I I just think of parents who go into parenting, you know, no parent that I've ever known says, you know, the one thing I look forward to in parenting is just absolutely losing it and going crazy (laughs) on my kids. And you do that with caregiving, too. You think that you're going to be the sweet person who's just going to always have a great word and helpful thing for this person. And it is just super hard and taxing. And I, um, but I, I just realized how even looking back on my season, like, I spiritually grew exponentially, like in ways probably that I didn't want to, and I didn't want to walk through that, mm-hmm. but I just grew. I, um, My heart of compassion for the elderly, for other caregivers, for people that have struggled with health issues, um, for people with financial issues who are just like looking you know, forward to their, uh, their final years and just saying, what am I going to do? The fear there um, to step in and be able to offer a word of encouragement or help in that space. Uh, it's just huge. And, and honestly, you know, my perspective as a, you know, comparatively younger caregiver, I mean, there aren't many people in their 40s who've lost both parents now and grieving that and grieving the role reversal and all the things that came with that, while at the same time, realizing, okay, there's a responsibility here. But looking back on it and just realizing no one can ever take that space from me and those memories from me and the feeling that I was part of that. And, you know, I just say, and I always get choked up when I say this, I had the privilege of walking mom home. And not everyone can say that, you know, that they had the privilege of walking a parent into heaven and to, you know, that I'm going to see her again someday. And that's totally cool. And I'll see dad and, and just to be able to introduce mom in her right mind to the friends who stepped in with me and were able to help me on that journey. And it's just going to be really cool. I'm looking wow. forward to it. I mean, you have packed the very end. You're both crying. We're all three <laughs> crying now. So Lisa, way to go. 
Uh, it's terrible to end on that kind of emotion, but let's come back next time. We'll pick up there and continue the discussion. Can we do that? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, our guests have uh, tenderly shared about their experiences in caring for loved ones. And if you haven't gone through that yet, you probably will at some point. Michelle's book is a great resource. It's called Caring for Our Aging Parents. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Well, it's been quite sobering to listen to our guests today being so honest about the magnitude of caring for elderly loved ones. But as Lisa attested to counting it a privilege to be there for her mom right to the very end, we get a picture of what true servanthood looks like and the unexpected rewards that come out of some of our most trying times. If you're right in the throes of caring for your elderly parents, or you're on the cusp of making those big decisions about what steps to take in their care, you might be interested in Michelle's book called Caring for Our Aging Parents. It offers real-life stories of individuals who have found positive and life-affirming methods to communicating respectfully and lovingly to their aged parents. And readers will also be heartened to find practical suggestions for mending broken relationships and gaining new ground with their parents, even when their past has been checkered by pain and difficulty. You'll find this fantastic resource online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. I hope that you'll be able to join us next time for the conclusion of our program with Michelle Howes and Lisa Anderson. I'm Graham Schnell inviting you back then when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.